five times World Wrestling Federation champion. This belt is just a toy. It's like a trinket on a Christmas tree, like an ornament. The belt that I want is the one that the great Muta has, the IWGP belt. Because when Hulk Hogan wins the IWGP championship, which he should have right now, it will prove that New Japan Pro Wrestling and Hulk Hogan is the greatest, the greatest partners in the world because I want all the great wrestlers to come to me and I want them to come to Japan where I can wrestle and not bullshit. I want to wrestle and prove that I'm the best. Hello everyone and welcome to Scott and Paul's Roundland Podcast. Hello. Scott McLeod here, joined as always by my good friend and co-host Paul Byrne. Who is drinking the soft drinks today. Yes. A very caffeinated Paul Brown, I should say. Yes, very caffeinated, mm-hmm. but non-alcoholic. Then isn't that... I... Is that fucking with your brain, Scott? Well, no, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> you know, I think you'll you'll still be the same Paul that people come to know and maybe love. <laughs> maybe. 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 And I love them, too. <laughs> but either way, we are back. I, I genuinely do, you know. I love our listeners. They're great people. And they are. But we're back for another episode of From the Vault. It's been a while. I think the last one was WrestleMania 12. Yes, it was. I mean, we've done a number of like classic pay-per-view reviews, but only, it's only the third one under the official new name of it called From the Vault. First we did SummerSlam 92, then Mania 12, and now we're here for King of the Ring 93. And we're the three that under the, the uh, From the Vault banner all kind of do center around you know Brett in a certain way. And Brett being... Brett putting on phenomenal performances as he was one to do. Yeah, he was. He was. You, you see that sticks in my throat a little. It's, it's going to be a weird show for Paul because he's going to have to probably put quite a bit of praise towards Brett as a wrestler, not as a person, but as a wrestler, it can't be denied, especially I, on this show. As a as a review as a podcaster who talks about wrestling mm-hmm. and Fraser, uh-huh. I can put my disgust. Towards the man's side. Mm-hmm. And I can quite easily say that he was one of the best, if not one of, if not the best technical wrestler of the 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bar none. Yeah, I mean, you have, you have to appreciate him uh, as a like performer. Like, the idea of separating the performer from the person, I mean, we, 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 we've we mentioned that when we talked about how well he helped Davy Boy in their matches. Oh, yeah. The, the way that he and Sean both carried their weight in the Iron Man match and everything, you know, it takes two tangles, as they say. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you know, it was, it was, it may have been a little bit of a butthurt little girl about things, but <laughs> you know what, it was a, it was nothing if not a fucking mm-hmm. pro, man. The guy was a pro. I, and I always thought, mm-hmm. one of the positive things I can say about him, mm-hmm. I always thought he was a fantastic seller. Yes. You know, there was a few things that, you know, like, uh, like in the sense of taking some an opponent's mm. offense. Yeah. One of the things that always made me feel for Brett was that sort of sharp, quick throw into the turnbuckle he oh, used to yeah. get all the time, and he'd take it on the sternum, mm-hmm. and you'd see him he bounce, and you'd think, oh. Mm-hmm. Or the few times when he'd miss that, and he'd go ribs first into the lower half yeah. of the, tur- the fucking post. Mm-hmm. You know, the man knew how to make it. You know, look. Severe, yeah, you know, and like I, w- I always admire yeah, that that way he sells that that turnbuckle one where he goes yeah, yeah, for, yeah. and I'm amazed that you know how Kofi's chest 
of Kingston's chest is kind of weird looking because yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially I can see it because again it's kind of almost I know it's still because he had a pectoral injury that never properly healed I'm surprised that Brett over the years his chest didn't end up looking like that with the amount of times he was able to take that, that spot and how, well, and how he probably made it look more vicious than it was because the way the speed that he gathers as he hits it makes it seem like the ring's fucking rattled as soon as he makes contact with yeah it. well in fairness mm-hmm. to Kofi mm-hmm. Great professional, also. Yeah. And this sticks in my throat a little bit, <laughs> but he was not on Brett's level. I, I don't think too many people would feel would uh, would disagree with that. I mean, Brett is considered one of the greatest of all yeah. time by a lot of people. He was he none of none of the wrestlers from the modern era mm. are on Brett's level. When Brett was at his at his peak. Mm-hmm. Despite being a dickhead, he was <laughs> fucking, he was bar none, you know, mm-hmm. fucking one of the best wrestlers in the business. Yeah, I agree. Because he, he, he could sell well, he was technically awesome. Mm-hmm. He, you were always invested in a Bret Hart match. When, like, we're tempted to go back to watch old shows that Bret was a part of, mainly for shows like that we do and for shows that I follow, like OSW, that cover a lot of different periods in Brett's career yeah well because of the years they talk about like which is primarily 90s and 80s and stuff yeah so I think through that I've grown more of an appreciation for Brett in recent years as a wrestler and even though I, he's still not I still don't rate him as a I've still, he's still not one of my favorites all the time I can recognize that he is a great wrestler oh yeah because for years I just and I felt this without watching too many of his matches did think of Brett as a bit over, overrated uh and also some of the things he said in like interviews sometimes that did maybe not like him as a person but like, I have to admit especially with the, the show we're going to talk about here you can't deny a man's ability oh no no for as much as like Brett may have had a I mean let's let's be perfectly honest though let's not fucking say all wrestlers from the 90s were fucking saints mm-hmm. there was a lot of wrestlers that got a taste of the upper card and were a bit you know cocky about it Mm-hmm. Sean was a cocky prick. Brett was a bit of a cocky prick. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Hogan was a cocky prick. I mean, Sean and Brett had a bit more reason to be cocky pricks than Hogan did. Let's, let's be perfectly well, let's, honest about let's that. Let's be perfectly honest. But, you know, we know Hogan didn't want to give anyone else a spot. Mm-mm. Sean didn't want to give anyone else a spot. And Brett, even though he tried to tie it up and, oh, well... We need to be as professional or as good as me. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to give anyone else the spot. They were all cocky and very protective of their position. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that's our way of trying to get out what our position on Brett. Because we have we have made jokes at his expense quite a lot more you than me. But and, and you laughed at them. I know because <laughs> more if not they were funny. But I think it's like worth talking about, especially. For when we then later on, so we're not seen as hypocrites when we talk about him in positive lights later on. Oh, hell no. And uh, something that I should have mentioned, even though we're six minutes into the show, <laughs> I should have already brought up about this episode that is what's special about this episode is that for the first time, maybe you've heard you've crossed over once or twice to listen to this when I've mentioned Scott and Paul's round podcast when I'm doing stuff for Wigger Pines, but as of now, as of this week, uh, we are officially under. Technically under the Rogue Opinions banner, as in we will still have our own podcast feed that you can follow and we'll plug at the end of the show. Have we been bought out? We have not been bought out. <laughs> we, are, we are just technically under the banner and that we'll be shared on their feed, on their social media, but also maintain our own thing. We are 
what are we? We're NXT before recent events to their WWE, even though that's technically an insult to them because I don't want to compare them to the main roster, but you're NXT almost. I don't know. Is that, the good, is that a good way to talk about it? As long as we're not WCW before no. the buyout. I mean, I'm going to talk about a little bit later on, briefly, uh, how, like, I think because we talked a bit before about how Vince started developing relationship with Simone territories like Smoky Mountain and USWA at the time. Yeah. Maybe we can see where the USWA or Smoky Mountain to their WWF. I don't know. Is that is that a better comparison to make? We're we're just detached now. We're good. Yeah, we're we're basically we are going to be shared on the Rogue Mains feed. You'll be seeing when you go through to take out whatever Rogue Pains podcast you want us to. You will be now from now on from starting from this episode onwards. You'll be seeing episodes uh, of ours. If you're scrolling through the Rogue Pains feed and you've seen this and you want to hear more of us, you won't find any of the episodes from before this on the Rogue Pains feed. You need to then go on to the same Android, whatever podcast that you're using for that. <laughs> Type in Scott and Paul's Rambling podcast, you will find us and you'll see more of it, we're all, what we're all about. But hopefully, if you're a fan of the stuff I do at Rogue Pains and you're hearing us on this feed, hopefully you've already crossed over and checked us out at one point. Hopefully, hopefully. But if this is your first time, then welcome and I do think this is a good show to kind of find out what we're all about in our sense of sometimes we can make good points and then immediately go wildly off, off the other direction. Yeah, like, that, is, that is a very famous habit of both of ours. I mean, it can be shown the fact that we were meant to make a very important point about this episode, the fact that we're on Rogue Pains and we forgot to do that for five minutes. Yeah, we did. We we do do that a lot. But we, we, we started this show as a rambling... Mm-hmm cacophony of wrestling and Fraser-like knowledge and mm-hmm. long may it continue so, but Paul for the people who are listening on the Rogue Pains feed obviously if you're listening on the Scott and Paul the Rowling podcast feed and you have been for a while then you know what to expect probably from hell this. yes hell yes yeah. but Paul what is there something that people who are fans of Rogue Pains who have now discovered us now that are on the feed uh, that they don't know if they don't know you is there one thing that you think they should know about you before we get started oh I don't believe so. I'm, I may be a little bit more colourful mm-hmm. than what we're used to. Yeah, you know, but I'll I'll, I'll maintain my colourful nature as <laughs> I see fit. You know. Yeah. But- and hopefully, if you enjoy Scott on mm-hmm. the Rogue Opinions podcast, hopefully, I can bring you the same kind of joy that Scott does. Thank you. Thank you very I, much. I I very much hope to hope to continue to fly the banner like he does. You know. Yeah. Basically, we can say that Paul does not beat around the bush when he when he has an opinion about I, something. I, he I do not. I I I have I have well I do have no real hatred in my soul, mm-hmm. but I I definitely do not shy away from an opinion. Yeah, definitely See, do not. I feel if if you have an opinion to make, you make it, and you don't sugarcoat it. Then that makes I think all more friend that we are now under the banner also of rogue opinions. Because now Paul has has had his fair share of very rogue, what people may consider rogue opinions. Yeah, yeah. And, and he is now willing to share them now with you. So this is basically we. No, I thought the perfect example. What we are, we are Wayne's World, and rogue opinions is Noah's arcade. Remember? That's a bad analogy, uh, man. Uh, Noah's uh, arcade sucks. Uh, yeah, no, but like I'm talking about how Wayne's World changed when they were like in the studio, and like and we were like we're sitting here on the rogue opinions feed doing like thing like guys don't nod. I don't count along with the countdown. So is it, is it going to be like, are we going to be like, so we're Scott and Paul's rambling podcast. And I'll be like, I guess. Or <laughs> maybe you want to go to Delaware. Hi. We're I'm in Delaware. Delaware. <laughs> I thought it was a decent thing, but I'm we're, trying to make. We're now on Rogue Opinions. Hi. We're on Rogue Opinions. 
I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, hopefully the Rogue Opinions listeners will have just as much joy listening to us <laughs> as they do the the main yeah. the main thing, as yeah. it were. You know. I, I I totally care. But Enough of, enough of all that. Enough, Eno- of- enough of my awkward introduction to myself. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Start as you mean to go on, eh? I, I, will, I will let Scott continue with the introduction whilst I roll a cigarette. You do that. He does that from time to time during I, the show. I, he keeps him going. You say from time to time. It's kind of a constant with me. He, he needs to. You know, it helps him keep it keeps Paul focused on the show. Yeah, I smoke. I opinionate. Yeah. <laughs> that's very much it. I spend a lot of the time calling many people assheads whilst rolling cigarettes and smoking and <laughs> spitting out my scorn. But not you people. You're not assheads. <laughs> no. Are all the listeners, whether well, your Rogue Opinions listeners or your faithful Scott and Paul listeners, mm-hmm. you people roll, man. Yeah. Because you're listening to us, yeah. and that's okay. Party on, Scott. <laughs> Party on, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that took me, there was too much of a pause there. I apologise. Five, four. <laughs> you didn't say two and one. <laughs> now, we, now we need. Now we need to do Wayne's World at some point in the future, don't oh, we? Oh, we still do. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you've listened on Rogue Pines to my uh, times when we cover bears on PVC, especially on the Rogue Rich Smack interview, you know I like to take notes. But if you also listen on Scott Mulvall and podcast, you also know. I like to have notes. So He likes his notes. So I do have quite a few notes for King of the Rain 93. And so both of you, you all, all of you listening will know that I have some notes to give. And if you don't mind, Scott, Paul, Scott do you have notes? I do. Wow. I know, right? <laughs> who, would have, who has seen that coming? So while Paul, Get out. So while Paul <laughs> rolls his cigarette, I'll give you some background. Uh, I thought we're done with the admin about what podcasting platform we're on now. <laughs> Let's get into the actual show. King of the Rain, 1993, June 13th, 1993, from the Nutter Centre in Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> Nutter Centre. Yeah, that's, that's, that's why it's spelled. Uh, although they don't call it Dayton, Ohio that much during the show. They keep repeating the phrase, the heartland of America. Hi, <laughs> we're in Dayton. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's why they didn't want to... Like do that because like ah oh, Dean doesn't really have the most the best ring to it. Given that the last pay per view they were in Caesar's Palace, yeah. Las Vegas, Nevada. Hi, we're having the title match in Dayton. <laughs> so yeah, and also like you mentioned, all Hulk Hogan's defending the title against Yokozuna. He wanted to defend it in the heartland of America, USA, USA, all that crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not calling the US crap. I'm sorry for any Americans listening. I'm just saying the overly. USA, so especially from a non-American you, you, watching this pay-per-view, the Hulk Hogan, especially in 93, is getting a bit sickening. You mean that typical thing that a lot of countries do, our country does it, you know, Scotland yeah. or, and yeah. the English do it annoyingly, and the Americans do it uh-huh. annoyingly, just like we do. It's uh-huh. all a lot of pomp and carry on. I, I I am not I'm not the most patriotic person unless I may be drunk or it's, it's me. Like, yeah, when, like when Drew won the Rumble. Oh, yeah, I fucking marked out when that happened. But then again, I marked out when Roddy Piper won the Intercontinental title as well. So And he wasn't even fucking Scottish. No, he was Canadian. <laughs> anyway. so the way I said that there? Canadian. Canadian. I liked uh, so Can, Cannot Scottish. So, obviously, Dayton, Ohio, and the Nutter Centre in front of 6,500 people 
in a venue that holds somewhere between nine and eleven thousand people, but it varies depending on the type of events that the the venue holds, like concerts or sporting events. It can vary given the size. Yeah, and it's not as if they had to make much move many seats for like sets because they've got a, a, a giant screen, and yeah. that's about it. And giant, I think, is actually generous, but you know they've got a screen. Uh, so yeah, and then so this would apparently be the lowest attended King of the Ring pay per view that they would ever do. Well, and it's the first one. I was about to say, in fairness, it's the first proper like pay per view televised King of the Ring. Mm-hmm. All wrestling companies, regardless of who they were at the time, mm-hmm. trying out a new pay per view. Look, you expect the attendance not to be phenomenal. Yeah. Although the buy rate would be the highest of any King of the Ring pay per view until 1999. Really? Where, yeah, the buy rate for this one was 245,000 pay per view buys, which, well, not. Entirely that much higher than the hundred eighty thousand we saw when the last time we did a wrestling baby, which was in your house uh, two. No, no, in your house eight. <laughs> Beware of dog. I say two because they did it. Had to do it twice because of that. Yeah, like over two nights, but so greatly had to record it twice. Well, well, when you think about it, not that much higher. Like uh, it's still though. It's going to be considered one of the big, you know, the big five basically before the and yeah. in your house is a baby. So technically, especially for the first one, I said the first time they'd. First time since this Tuesday in Texas that they've done a non, you know, big four pay per view. Yeah, it's, I think it's a decent one. And, and given, let's be perfectly honest, King of the Ring to a point did grow into a pretty stable pay per view. In nineteen ninety nine, uh, I can see that's what I see why that was the uh, the one the next highest one because you know ninety nine properly was like a year where they could throw anything at you and people still bought it. You know, people they still threw people still paid their money even after they did after a whole shit like, you know, it's me, Austin and all that crap. Who won ninety nine? Billy Gunn. Oh yeah. The greatest king of the ring of yeah, all we time. Tried, we tried to make him a single star. Yeah. That and, worked out well, didn't it? You know. Uh I know JR perfectly summed up, We got a new King of the Ring and it's Billy Gunn <laughs> In that exact tone of voice. When you think of you think Hi, of, it's Billy Gunn. Carrying a tag team belt that wasn't technically his as he walked out the most. Did he even get a coronation or a crown or anything? No. He just, he just got to do a wee design of his tights with that big Louis lips with a crown on it. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. So, but, you know, a solid buy rate for 93, you know. Hulkamania is going to die and they're about to go into the new generation era. Yeah. I watched uh, on YouTube earlier, mm-hmm. I watched a uh, promo. Mm <laughs> hmm. A Hulk Hogan promo for King of the Ring that was recorded a couple of weeks earlier on Raw. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's such a trip hearing Hulk Hogan in his Hulk Hogan fashion mm-hmm. talking about Monday Night Raw. You know, yeah. like, oh, no, oh Hulkamania is running wild on Monday Night Raw. And you're <laughs> like, but you're no but. Aye, but you're no but. Aye, but you're no but. Also, yeah, the tagline for the show uh, it was, Who will be the king? Be part of the coronation. <laughs> it's a pretty shit tagline, isn't it? It's 93. Ah, it's a bit shit, though. It's a bit shit. <laughs> early, early 90s, you know, mm-hmm. colourful cack. Yeah. But let's talk about the, the King of the Ring, not just this year's tournament, but let's talk about the concept of King of the Ring because yeah. this, they've been doing this as a house show, not staple, since 1985. They had. I think uh, there was King Harley Race. Uh-huh. There was King Haku. 
as well. See, I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but like the only, up until this point, the only years they skipped was randomly 1990 and 1992. They hadn't done one, but the first one they did, 1985, Don Morocco won that. Don Morocco. 1986, Harley Race won it, but the technically Haku and uh, Jim Duggan held king crowns, but uh, Haku won the right to be king, and then he lost that right to Duggan as well. So. I know, because when I met Duggan, he signed my SummerSlam King Duggan. <laughs> and then, ironically, Duggan would lose in the finals of the 1987 King of the Ring to Macho Man, who shortly after that would start the whole... Macho King. Well, yeah, well, actually, it would be a couple of years later, because he, he was a face, I remember, but later on, he would become the Macho King. Yeah. 1988, Macho Man would lose in the finals to uh, Ted DiBiase. King DiBiase. King DiBiase, the million dollar king. And then, 1989, Tito Santana... Sweet. Tito Santana. I love Tito, man. I know, I like Tito as well. El Matador, Tito Santana. I don't know why they skipped 1990, but then 1991, Brett the Hitman Hart won it. I think this was actually shortly after something like 91, so he would have been Intercontinental Champion at the time. Brett was a two-time King of the Ring. He, is, he was the first ever, and only, I think, yeah. two-time King of the Ring. Uh, but obviously, the WWE on this preview, they don't acknowledge any King of the Ring. They oh, keep saying the no, very no, first... No, no, no. You know who the best King of the Ring was, though? Hmm. King Barrett. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I am one for uh, King Booker. King Booker. Booker. Yeah. With Queen Charmel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, his royal you know, cabinet of Finlay and William Regal. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, you know what's funny? You know who Bret Hart beat in the finals of this King of the Ring randomly? IRS. IRS. In the 91 one? In the 91 King of the Ring. IRS versus Bret Hart in the final. I don't love King IRS. <laughs> The Tax King. The Tax King. Oh, that would have been so cool. <laughs> now, it's framed as if like, this is the opening. They call the quarterfinals and that's the opening round here, but yeah, technically we... the qualifying matches were also considered the first round. Yeah. And those were happening on TV starting on the May 2nd episode of Raw. So let me tell you about the eight guys and how they won- how they got into oh. the tournament, shall I? Go on then. Uh, Bret Hart received a bye into the tournament. I believe it was said that he was as great as the number one seed. I think it's because he was the former WWF champion at this point, ah. losing to Yokozuna at WrestleMania. And also, I think the whole concept of what Brett winning this tournament was basically a, we're sorry we're not getting you the belt back, but here, here's a wee crown for you. Ah, you can have a wee crown. Aye. Kind of like how uh, DiBiase, the million dollar belt, was a consolation for, sorry we can't have you win the title at Mania because uh, we can't have two heel champions and Honky won't drop the IC belt to Macho. So Macho's going to be the world champion for a while. Was, that was why DiBiase never officially won the belt. He was meant to win at Mania 4, but Honky wouldn't lose yet, wouldn't drop the IC belt to Macho. I can just point out, though, that on house shows, DBOC mm-hmm. defended yeah. the damn title. So, unofficially, he was. There's so many people nowadays pushing for mm-hmm. his title reign to be recognised. It should be recognised. Yeah, if, if Andre, who held it for two minutes before he sold it, can be recognised, then surely he can surely be. Surely DBOC can be fucking recognised. He at least defended it a few fucking times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that same regard, if if Andre can be classed as a champion for two fucking minutes, uh-huh. so should the Rockers. But then, as a former King of the Ring, the nineteen eighty nine winner Tito Santana put over a new star by losing to Razor for Razor to qualify for no, the King of the Ring. That would have been a good match to see. That would have been uh, Mister Perfect defeated Doink the Clown. <laughs> Mister Hughes defeated Kamala. Jim Duggan defeated Papa Shango. I just like to point out, Mr. Hughes and Jim Duggan are in this tournament, and yet they also describe the eight men as the eight best in the WWF. I mean, I'm so, I, know, I know you met Duggan, but 1983, 
It's not good best. It's not good, Dougie. This is weird. Randomly wearing a singlet, Dougie, for some reason. Well, actually, I can just say one thing. Uh-huh. Damn, say better than Mister Hughes. Yeah, and but still, and two, when he was wearing the singlet, he actually looked like he put on a bit of bulk. Hmm. You know, he looked a little more in shape, shall we say? Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow <laughs> earned his way in by defeating Typhoon. And one of Typhoon's last appearances in the WWE. Yeah, yeah. And a few months later, he would have his most iconic moment when he went over to WCW to become the shock, to become the shock master. And yet, competing in the match as this basically changed his gimmick to a weird, you know, hard hat wearing clumsy oaf, like all shock master. And he somehow got the win for his team in that war game. That's what people don't remember because, hmm. like, they wanted. I don't know why they did that, but so he he was on his way out and he put over Bam Bam. Lex Luger defeated Bob Backlund to get into the tournament. And finally, via DQ, uh, Tatanka defeated the Giant Gonzalez to get into this tournament. Giant Gonzalez? Mm. So there you go. Those are your eight men that qualified for the King of the Ring. Well, Giant Gonzalez, who, Gonzalez, who was billed as eight foot tall and wore lifts inside his shoes mm. to make himself that tall. He was told to go. Mm. Uh, and a very interesting commentary team we got here. I was very happy to hear after Vince does his screaming, Welcome to the heartland of America. <laughs> Welcome to the first ever King of the Ring. Welcome to the first ever televised <laughs> King of the Ring. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of sad that they didn't have what they'd have in later King of the Ring events where they'd have you know the two little guys opening the door. And I believe it was 95 or 96. 96. Where they had uh, the two Hardy, the Hardy yeah, boys. No, it was ninety six. I believe is it not in ninety six that Ahmed Johnson just pushes his bangs his way through when he's running down the ring mm-hmm. to fight Goldust. Like, it's a fucking way. Yeah, he just he basically kills the two doormen. But after years, the uh, you hear the big throat burning uh, Vincent Man. I was very happy to hear the voice of Jim Ross on commentary alongside Bobby Heenan and Randy Macho Man Savage. I think this is the same commentary team that we had had. Uh, WrestleMania well, that 9. was, yeah. But, but it, I, it was such a unique moment in time as well mm-hmm. to have both a, a golden era legend uh-huh. like Bobby Heenan uh-huh. alongside what, who a man who would come an attitude era legend mm-hmm. in JR. You and know? something you'll notice, you look at JR's face, a lot more youthful, and very, his voice very much more high-pitched because this is pre-his first... He's never had, he's not had Bell's palsy yet. Yeah, this yet. is when he can still move his mouth yeah, well. Yeah, his first bout of Bell's palsy would come sometime early 94, I believe. That would yeah, come. yeah. And then you have another bout like, sometime in the late 90s and something not, like that. Not a lot of people give that man credit for the mm-hmm. amount he just, he just, you know, he dealt with it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. He, he, sure, it took him out for a little while, but he came back and he dealt with it. And he, and I don't mean to, like... I. I know a lot of people can't speak positively of like afflictions and shit. But, yeah, you sure. know, I honestly think it defined his character. I believe it, yeah. You know, because you have that classic look of JR mm-hmm. doing his southern drawl, mm-hmm. you know, with his cowboy hat on and shit. You just, before that, like mm-hmm. when he was just the high pitched little man in his oh. suit, mm-hmm. he, was, he was cool. Yeah, he was still a great play by play guy. He was still a great play by play guy, but he just, what, he didn't have that. Thing that drew you in, you know. And I think the whole thing with the the cowboy hat—you never had that uh, in WCW. That was a, I think it was said to be a rib by by Vince. I all really funny to see Jr. in a cowboy hat. But Jr. made it work so well that it became his thing. Yeah, he's, he's even carried it over to AEW. He still wears the cowboy hat. It's still good old Jr. and everything. He still he still wears his cowboy hat just talking to people. He, yeah, he just, 
Likes just his like, hat. Just like doing appearances and shit yeah, like that. Yeah, he loves his hat. So yeah, it was an interesting mix, but it should buy SummerSlam. We've done SummerSlam 93 in our back alley, if you haven't checked that out. Uh, go listen to it. Yeah. But by then, I think Heenan and McMahon are back, and JR would be relegated to a uh, thing called Radio WWF. Him and Monsoon did. Yeah, I, I recall that brief period when they tried to do that. But then they, did, but then they did actually get the Radio WWF guys to do a match and take over. And at Survivor Series '93, when they did a Smoky Mountain match, it was the Rock and Roll Express versus the Heavenly Bodies. Yeah, and basically the case of Vince going, I don't know anything about these Southern wrestlers. JR, you get in here. <laughs> and then, like, early 94, JR had his bills palsy and went away, which is sad because I, I would have loved to have had JR fill in for, for King for a little while after King had to leave in late 93, early 94, before he came back at me at 10 after his legal trouble, we'll say. Because yeah. actually, the, the commentary team at Rumble 94 is uh, Vince and Ted DiBiase. Yeah. Uh, DiBiase actually makes a reference to Vince being the owner. Uh, which then been discussed really like, you know, like, man, I think it actually should be you that's working for me <laughs> at one point. Says, so, but you know, that's that. Let's a bit. We'll talk and, more about Jr. and everything. And can, can we just say Jr. the uh, King's legal trouble, which which was mm-hmm. you know sorted in his favour. Mm-hmm. I may add. Yeah. Also, we're going to talk about this diamond. We talked about USWA kind of having this relationship with the uh, WF at the time it was kind of a basically with Daryl Oliver being there. They had uh, we feud. Some of the WF guys going down there with JL Law being the face down in Memphis. Yeah. And eventually they do the relationship with Smoky Mountain when Jim Cornette comes in. When reigning USW Unified World Champion Papa Shango successfully defended his championship in a dark match against Owen Hart. Wow. That's a weird match. Basically, the Godfather versus Owen Hart, technically. That's weird. Who, who knew that just in a little while they would be in the same faction? <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, they're both in the nation. That's when he was a nugget. <laughs> I am not, not a, a nugget. nugget. <laughs> uh, so then we get the the commentary team, like I said, the three man team of Jr. Bobby and Randy reckless to the show, and we go right into our first King of the Ring match: Bret Hart versus Razor Ramon. Which very interesting. This is kicking us off as this was the WIF Championship match at the Royal Rumble this same year yeah. when Bret was the champion taking on Razor. Who if you think about it, Razor debuted shortly before the Survivor Series. That's right, he teams with uh, Brick Flair, Flair to take on Perfect and Macho Man. Funnily enough, that was originally supposed to be the Mega Maniacs before yeah. Warrior buggered off. buggered off again. Well, I think we got he the was, better he was end of it. He's very good at doing that. Yeah, he's very good at buggering off and giving us the better end of the deal because Perfect I'd rather see than, than fucking Warrior any oh, day. Fuck yes, man. Perfect was good in that match. Yeah, and then Rumble, he has the match against uh, Brett. You know, he gets a title match on one of the big pay per views. Mania, he gets to fight. Bob Backlund, but he was the one. Yeah. He's been featured on WrestleMania, uh, and now he's here in the King of the Rings. So he's done a lot in a short amount of time. And what a lot of people don't know about Scott Hall, I think he's still fairly early, only a few years in the business at this time. He had a brief run in WCW as the the Diamond Stud, he was called. Yeah, yeah. And Brett even commented in his book about this match. He said that I said I really like really enjoyed the match. He said he credited Scott Hall by saying, you know, even like from a few months ago when we had that match at King of the Ring. He, he had already showed significant improvement just in the few months from then to now. Yeah. So I'll say Brett was full of praise for Scott Hall in that regard when it comes to this match. Uh, the crowd are chatting one, two, three. Yeah. Because uh, he had only a couple weeks earlier lost that ma- famous match on Raw to the one, two, three kids. That was what broke his undefeated streak, was it not? 
I think so. Like yeah. he, he he offered him money to know if he can somehow beat him and. It, and they also, well, he blames Macho Man because I think at some point on Raw, Macho Man was encouraging the crowd to chant one, two, three, and so it's carried over. So yeah. Bobby Heenan's given out to Macho Man. See what you've done? The people are chanting, they're distracting Razor Ramon. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, you know, I think when you think about it, that moment with Razor and the kid, and that's him at the same time that Marty randomly shows up to win the IC belt from yeah. Sean, those, were, those two moments are two of the first proper memorable Raw moments because. For the first few months, Raw was pretty much, you know... Just Raw. Yeah, it was the same as all the other shows, you know. Oh, the Sabbath guy, be a squash. And a squash match, be another job guy. And that was pretty much it. Well, was this not King of the Ring 93 not significant as well? And please correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. But was this not Bobby Heenan's last pay-per-view with the dub as well? No, I believe he would carry on until Survivor Series. Survivor Series carry on until? I think he wanted, I think he wanted to leave it. The main reason he said that the main reason he went to WCW is that you know his daughter was going to school close to Atlanta and that's and he, and he moved to take the job there to be close to her. Yeah, so that's a fair enough reason. Yeah, which is fair enough. And also he was probably being paid a good chunk of money at the time as well. You know. I would assume so from old, old billionaire Ted. I mean, Bobby Heenan is famous for you know using the expression "you won't offend me with cash." I'm sure that's what he said to old billionaire Ted at the time. <laughs> so yeah, like I think you got a good class of opponents for Brett in this. Like I think he got the 